Welcome to Ciao Bella, hosted by yours truly, Erica Firpo, travel journalist based in Rome. Each week on Ciao Bella, I explore today's Italy, speaking with artisans, designers, hoteliers, architects, artists, Parmesan makers, in other words, the creators who are making the Italy that you love. So sit back and join in. This is Erica, and I'm here at the St. Regis Hotel in Rome for a very romantic evening <laughs> with one of my favorite people in Italy, Sara Porro. She is an incredible writer. She writes about food, hotels, travel, not just, I mean, she writes about many different things, life experiences. She's the author of several books, and she, for me, is the first person I come to when I need to know anything about Milan, in particular, Milan's food scene and also where to drink because that's always my main question. Hi Sarah, how are you? Hi, I'm really good. Thank you. Thank I you just, for having me. I just called you Sarah, not Sara. That's, that's so, fine. That's fine. That's okay. I've, uh, I've Americanized you right now. <laughs> that's okay. Um, I thought you might want to introduce yourself a little bit and because my, my introduction um, really just hit, you know, she's the greatest, but you might want to tell a little bit more detail about who you are and where we can find you. Ah, it's great to be introduced like that, actually. Um, so what I, I've uh, been a writer for the past 10 years, and I started out writing mostly about food for several uh, publications uh, in Italy, mainly. Um, and it's uh, I write uh, um, for a publication that specializes in food, but also for a general publication where, with a food section. And it's two very different approaches. Sometimes you go down the expertise route, and the other times you have to explain uh, the general public uh, the things that uh, in uh, in in the world of food have been discussed forever. So I like both uh, things. And then I wrote, uh, as you were saying, I wrote a few books. It's free and counting because I have a book that I'm working on right now. And um, Well, I know the first book, I'm, I know when I first met you about five or six years ago, you were working on a fantastic book called Giuseppino. Yes, yes. Uh, it's a book I co-wrote with Joe Bastianich. The, um, the famous master chef, Joe yes, Bastianich. Especially is uber famous in Italy, which is also uh, quite fascinating because it's not a celebrity, a real celebrity in the US. This, in the US, is mostly known for being uh, Lydia Bastianich's son, while in, in Italy, he became uh, incredibly famous when uh, Master Chef started airing here. And uh, back then, I used to follow um, MasterChef for uh, Di Sapore, which is uh, the first uh, publication I, I started uh, writing about food for. And um, we met, and eventually we went on to become, become good friends and to write a book together about his uh, hate-love relationship to Italy and his Italian uh, heritage. And then you wrote a book... About Peru, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, that's correct. Yeah, I traveled to Peru and I wrote um, a, a, a book about uh, my experience in traveling. It was a very, uh, back then, a very uh, adventurous uh, uh, trip for me. Um, I traveled. Back then, but how many years ago was that? Um, four years ago. I feel like it was last week. A <laughs> <laughs> lot of water under the bridge. <laughs> As we say, uh, yeah, and um, 
I loved Peru. It's uh, still to this day one of my favorite countries, but I tried to do it uh, um, more adventurously than I normally uh, travel and to push myself to my limits. I turned 30 that year, so it's actually five years ago then. <laughs> and I wanted to take a, a real a real trip um, with not, not too many uh, comforts and the from from then uh, from there came uh, came the book um which is to this day uh, probably my favorite thing i i wrote i had a lot of freedom in deciding how to write it and it was a lot of fun to write now i know that you write for it is it it's donna or is it amica 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 yes but also which is a women's magazine but what i what i find particularly fascinating is that you write for an italian sports newspaper like the top sports newspaper gazetta dello sport yes and you're not writing sports no i'm not <laughs> I'm, I'm writing about food because eventually they had to they have a pretty uh pretty um wide uh, lifestyle section and food is one of the topics they were very reluctant to write about food but eventually the editor called me and said uh, everyone is insisting that we add the food column so just write it and i was like what should i write about and he was like you do your thing i'm not really i don't i don't want to know i didn't want this food column to begin with so so that's that's fun as well I think that's pretty cool. And I think, you know, it's, it's, you know, at first I was like food sport, but then I was like, ah, we're in Italy. That completely makes sense. Yeah. Food, Be food ties in with, with everything. With everything. Exactly. Yeah. Now I want to get a little bit food specific and talk about Milan because right now Milan is the it city of Italy and everybody, everybody asks me, they always, I, I get emails and I get calls, Erica, I want to come to Italy. Um, I should go to Milan, right? Everybody's talking about Milan, right? Yeah, I should go. What should I do? And oftentimes when that happens, I, I believe I've mentioned you <laughs> and I've sent them in your direction or I call you. I'm like, what should they do? Uh, why is Milan an it city right now? It's um, so surprising for us, um, for us, the Milanese. I'm not born and bred Milanese, but I've lived in the city for um, long enough to consider myself uh, fully Milanese, but the real Milanese would disagree. Uh, for us, it's uh, been quite surprising because it happened very quickly, uh, a complete change of perspective um, about Milan. Milan used to be considered a, a grey, dull city, um, and now things have changed tremendously. Uh, for sure, something that happened was the expo in um, 2015. 2015 right? Yes, that's correct. Because the expo, I mean, I remember the expo, I remember when it was happening and the focus of the expo that year was food. Yes. So, of course, you're going to get some food kind of fallback. But, I mean, Milan went from finance and fashion to finance, fashion and food in a big yes. way. Yes. Absolutely. The, um, yeah, the, the, the theme of the um, uh, expo was not just food, but it was uh, specifically s sustainability in terms of food. So the theme of, for the expo was feeding the planet. And um, uh, so that also uh, gave Milan a lot of uh, recognition because obviously that's a very hot topic and uh, it was widely discussed uh, around the world. So I think a lot of traction came uh, from it. And people, and it sort of put Milan uh, on on the map, uh, not just for food, but as a very um, it, a city where it's uh, easy to live, 
where um, things work well. Um, sometimes the the Milanese get the, uh, a bad rap for the fact that we're always um, um, we complain about the rest of Italy, like we're not really part of Italy, and I don't like that. I I love Italy as a, as a country, and I I travel all the time. But I have to say that um, the, we have a specific uh, mentality. We're up in the north, so uh, and we've only been joined to the rest of Italy for the past 150 years, which for <laughs> for the US it's a long time, but for Europe it's like it's like the blink of an eye. Yes, yeah, couple <laughs> of weeks. <laughs> Um, and we have so much in common with um, the rest of uh, Europe. Um, I would say as much as we have in common with the rest of Italy. So there's differences and there's a lot that we have in common that we share, of course. But we, um, it's, um, there's a specific culture. Um, it's work ethic. It's been something that people used to uh, make fun of, but now it's... Uh, Maybe we added a fun twist to it. And it's really appreciated. Yeah. And I know whenever whenever Darius and I come to Milan, um, and then we get we're back on the train coming coming back to Rome and we're like, ah. I was like it was like, wow, these you know, I, I can see how I can do things differently and then you know, it's like a breath of fresh air. But then we're also kind of like, that was so different from Rome. <laughs> uh yeah, well I can I don't I, I love to to um list all the things that I love about Milan. Um without necessarily adding uh, comparison to something that's yeah. not quite as uh, great, especially in Italy. Um, I like to focus on, on what's good about Milan, but for sure I love, I love uh, everything about it. But what you're saying, you said something really important, is the creative twist, and that is like one of the... I think, I think it's always been... Milan has always been a really creative city, even if a lot of people haven't seen it, because, you know, this is a city... It's a city of industry... A lot of a lot of the cars, not the cars, but I think it's like the tires are from here. The the textiles are from Milan. Um, a lot of and and now it's where a lot of artists live. I mean, it's 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 a, got a lot going on creatively. There's tech here, and then of course there are these amazing restaurants, and the scene is happening. Uh, the fashion, yes, mention that. Um, but yeah, there is a creative way. Milan definitely has a creative way of channeling. The qualities, I guess, that you would say at first we used to say very businessy, but it's creative yeah. business. Yes, absolutely. I I wouldn't. Um, I think that money is an important factor factor here. Uh, what the feel you have about Milan is uh, that you have a good idea. Uh, you're probably going to find a way to make it work because people are going to be supportive of it. And so when I say that a city is business oriented, yeah, um, it's I don't think it's uh, a bad thing to say. Actually, quite agree. It's very business friendly. That's maybe another way of uh, looking at it. And uh, what happened with food is that. Um, um, it's sort of, uh, as we were saying about uh, writing for Gazzetta dello Sport, uh, food is, has become a part of lifestyle. And so for all the brands that are positioning themselves in the wider uh, lifestyle, uh, under the wider lifestyle umbrella, then food that's become is becoming the maybe the more approachable part of their brand. This is something that ha happened with Prada, for instance, the fashion house Prada, which is really, um, to me, synonymous with uh, a certain Milanese elegance, mm -hmm. um, has uh, recently with, bought... With the creativity. Yeah, yeah, with a twist, exactly. 
um, it's also a very peculiar kind of uh, elegance. Yes. Uh, there's always something uh, that looks a bit weird or quirky in their style and it's also to me very Milanese uh, as a tract. Um, what they did, they bought uh, Marchesi, which is an historical pastry shop. Ah, I and uh, it's it's like uh, over a hundred years old, is that? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and they were now opening a few more branches, which to me lack a bit of the charm of the original, but still the quality is really high. And and it's clear that they they are now positioning Marchesi as as the. Um, like a beignet or a pastry from Marchesi has become the more accessible um, item that you can get from Prada. It's like consumable, edible fashion. <laughs> yes. That tastes really, really good because the, when I saw you in... I, I, I think I forgot to tell you this. When I saw you in Milan last week, which, by the way, this is the third week in a row that I've, I've gotten to see Sara. <laughs> and this time it's on my turf. But um, I went to Marchese on Via Monte Napoleone. Yes. And I was just like, it was, it was like a jewel box. It was so beautiful. It was so old school. I mean, it was it, the Marchese is this pastry shop, coffee shop that, you know, you walk in, there's this gorgeous coffee bar and all these beautiful people are standing up having their coffee. And then you can sit down in the corner. There's this like minty green. And, um, and it was funny because you, I think you and I were talking about how I think it was was you and I we were talking about how in Rome they say cornetto. And, oh yes. And so I I immediately try I was, try, I was like trying to say uh, do it do I order cornetto? I oh didn't... no, you don't you don't. A cornetto is. I uh... said questo qua. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what uh, we're talking about differences between Milan and Rome. This is, might sound trivial, but it's actually very important. We have a, a strong relationship with France, and we have sort of imported all our uh, uh, pastry tradition from France. So the way we refer to a croissant is, uh, we call it brioche. Actually, it's not exactly the th same thing. The traditional, the tradition for, for uh, in Italy for a croissant is more, uh, there's more, less butter in the, um, in the dough and there's uh, eggs in the dough. Uh, so it's a bit, bit more similar to bread, it's like a uh, mix between uh, a, a croissant and uh, and a bread, and that's why it's called brioche. So it's similar to the French pain brioche in in a way. So that's what you're uh -huh. ordering in uh, in a bar in Milan when you want a brioche. You say that, while <laughs> in Rome, um, and this is will never cease to puzzle me. It's called uh, a cornetto, which uh, is also. Uh, a popular uh, ice cream in You were Italy. saying that's yes. your that's you always think of the algida ice yeah, cream. Yeah, 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 and I'm yeah. always worried that I'm going to get the wrong thing whenever I say that someone's going to hand you a cone. <laughs> yes, exactly. Like, no, no, that's not what I wanted. I wanted the brioche. Um, so let's get back to this idea of Milan. You know, I know that um this this Milan is in its city. It's we're we're saying it's been about the past 5 or 6 years. There's been a heavy investment in not just in restaurants, but in top quality restaurants. And I know that you know a lot of them. In fact, you every time I I come visit you, we go to a new one, which can be an old one. I mean, <laughs> it, it doesn't for for you. It, you know, you're always discovering new restaurants, but you know every restaurant. So it's it's been great for me. But I wanted to know, like, what um, I guess, how do you perceive? everything that's happening in Milan with the food trends and then the, the can these can 
quality new restaurants still come about or is it getting a little trendy? So I think a lot of people are probably, um, they think that the uh, food bubble is about to burst. Uh, personally, I don't think that's necessarily the case. I think there's still more room for restaurants to open and uh, quality restaurants to open. For sure, um, there's been a lot of investment and a lot of uh, restaurants have opened in the, just the uh, last few years. But... Um, so a lot of it is trend-driven right now. Uh, things Which is that have, normal. It, it's normal. It's normal and it's also, it testifies of the fact that Milan is becoming an international city. So everywhere, in every big city of the world, everyone is now eating poke. And why not in Milan? People want to eat poke. It's not, uh, <clears throat> I don't mind poke. It's actually quite good. But uh, obviously it's not the sort of um, restaurants I like to focus on. Um, I'm I don't I'm not fond of the word authenticity. I don't think it uh, means a lot per se, but for sure. Um, so I don't I don't like uh, um, restaurants that open that are based on what's silly. Like you could look at the Google AdWords and figure out what's going to open based on the popularity of single keywords. Right. Poke is uh, an example. But there's uh, so many, and I like my restaurants to have a bit more soul, and I don't think that's, um, uh, I think that's exactly the right word. So what restaurants for you in Milan have soul? Well, there's, well, there's many, uh, in, in many different price ranges, uh, um, I think. Would, sorry, well, I was, I was going to say, what would you think as far as, okay, because I think we talked about this before. What would you say would be a restaurant that's old school, not old school, but that's long lasting, that you would say has soul as, as and what would then you suggest or what would you say would be maybe a newer restaurant? So um, the, in terms of uh, traditional Milanese cuisine, there's not, first of all, there's not a lot of restaurants uh, making uh, traditional Milanese cuisine. It's very much unlike Rome, where basically every, every restaurant every is Every restaurant, Rome. yes. They make, um, there's no way you're going to a Roman restaurant and you're, you're not finding gricha or cacciapepe. Right. It would be blasphemy. So and what's, what's just, just to let our, our listeners know, what's typical Milanese cuisine? If you had to mention the, probably the two uh, more, um, uh, the two dishes that are uh, synonymous with Milanese cuisine, I would say uh, risotto alla milanese, which is uh, risotto with saffron. Mm-hmm. And the other one is uh, cotoletta alla milanese. So I love veal, the cotoletta. <laughs> veal cutlet uh, uh, breaded and cooked in clarified, fried in uh, pan fried in clarified butter. Those are really um, the two quint- quintessential Milanese dishes. But you're you're not going to find them in a lot of places, actually. Uh, Milanese the Milanese today are. Um, they eat uh, sushi much more often than they eat um, risotto, for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a couple of places that are doing uh, high-quality Milanese cuisine. Uh, obviously, um, the Milanese cuisine tends to be quite heavy. It's heavy in butter. In, it's not very vegetable-centric, <laughs> if that's what you're looking for. So uh, any restaurants that have... Um, uh, I mean, um, takes um, um, 
wants to have something to, to do with the Milanese tradition still has to take into consideration that uh, uh, the taste of pe people have uh, changed a lot. So. Mm -hmm. um, it makes sense that you would make adjustments. So uh, it's less heavy and maybe there's uh, just a, the more modern uh, flavors. Uh, but a um, couple of restaurants that to me are, are making um, uh, traditional Milanese cuisine in a great way are for sure Ratana, which to me is like one of my favorites to this day. It opened When it opened in 2009, it really... Uh, made the way, paved the way for a lot of the new restaurants that were to come. So a beautiful location, a beautiful, very, um, very contemporary design of what the restaurant. Of, what part of Milan is it? It's in, in the Isola district. So the Isola district used to be a very um, working class neighborhood. And, and I mean, this is also controversial because obviously something has been lost in the process of gentrification. Some of the new, the, the more recent uh, um, developments in the area, the Unicredit building, which has become... The, oh, is that the Gaia Olenti? Yes, that's correct. Like the tower that, yes. Yes, that's one of the new landmarks of Milan. And for sure, um, I mean, Isola used to be, I used to live in Isola. It, I'm now completely priced out of Isola, for instance. Yeah. So obviously that's what happened when, uh, um, on on one, one way it becomes... Uh, so much more beautiful and interesting on the other way like normal people are pushed out of a district so that's the good and the bad but when Ratana opened in 10 years ago now uh, it was um, uh, the first restaurant to, um, of, of a new wave of restaurants who could really um, really uh, be on the same level of um, uh, other European restaurants doing uh, Local cuisine, obviously, a lot of it was already. These are words uh, that an expression that over time have become tired. But uh, back then, saying "farm to table" or saying "nose to tail" was really was really saying something. Uh, they when they opened, Milan has always had uh, this reputation for having the best fish in all of Italy. Obviously, Lombardy is landlocked, so we don't get which it, we which don't is have crazy. Yeah, yeah. So the the rationale of it has always been that um, Milan uh, the, Milan has the biggest fish uh, market in Italy, so a lot of the fish that is fished all around the seas of Italy in the Mediterranean. It's just first goes to Milan and then back to anywhere else in, I in Italy. I did not know this. I'm, I'm not even sure that this is how it works, but I know that people have been happy to say over and over again. And this uh, Milan as the best fish in Italy has been something that people have said ad nauseum for a very long time. Uh, what Ratana did, uh, so keeping this in mind, the choice that Ratana did of not having saltwater fish in the menu was uh, a, a quiet uh, evolutionary act. Uh, wow. They decided to just have uh, freshwater a, fish. That's a big deal then. Yeah, and nobody was uh, eating freshwater fish. People are like, freshwater fish tastes like mud. If, you're, if you can access good fish, there's no reason why you should uh, eat uh, um, freshwater fish, but actually it makes a lot of sense because it's um, from the bodies of water that we have in the region. Is that and like Lago, yeah. Lago di Como, Lago Iseo? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, that's like Arctic char, 
which is um, uh, since it's uh, up in the mountains, uh, the water is really clean and uh, uh, the taste is really mild and uh, nice. So, and in Arctic char, I've seen it in the past 10 years, I've seen in every menu, uh, not just in Italy, it's become an incredibly popular uh, fish. And I think that more people have started thinking of where they source uh, their fish. And it doesn't have to be the old, um, it doesn't have, doesn't have to be that you're sourcing all your ingredients from very close to where you are. But I do think that, yes, you need to have a relationship with the place uh, uh, you find yourself in. Because I think that a great restaurant uh, fits uh, in a wider scheme of uh, things, uh, has a relationship with um, the, the, the food artisans and the producers. And I think that's the way a restaurant should be. So just not just be an island, but just be a part of a of system of uh, relationship. And I think, you know, I think that's almost inherent to tradition. I think that's very inherent, inherent, excuse me, to Italian mentality, um, that there's such a tie to what's around them, the producers that are around them. It's just been, I think, over, you're right, over the past 10 years, there's been such a big push in that direction to really highlight, highlight that. Um, now, we talked, the last time I saw you, we talked a bit about other new restaurants, and one of them you actually took me to, which was Nebbia. Yes. Which I, I loved because I felt like it was, I mean, to me it was very, the design, the decor was very simple, minimalist, which is my style, and the, the dishes were not limited to just Milan, but everything was incredibly fresh. I mean, it was, and, and I had this incredible pate that I keep dreaming about, <laughs> and Paolo had the, he, I think he had the, did he have the, um, it was like a, a ragu, I think. Yep. I mean, it was just, we, I, I wanted to eat his dish as well. Uh, yes. So Nebbia, it's a new opening by two former line cooks at Ratana. And uh, they decided to open the, um, there's also a lot of talk about uh, making trattorias new. So um, trattoria, which is uh, the, uh, very simple restaurants that are literally all, all across Italy, you're, you're finding trattorias. Uh, it's where um, people eat uh, the home-style home cuisine. And over time, they have, um, uh, like, they weren't as popular anymore because people were, wanted more the restaurant experience. Right. But actually, while you could say that the French tradition is more... Uh, the classic bourgeois restaurant. Italy's heart uh, in terms of food is in trattorias. So uh, it's just now that trattorias uh, have found um, more pride in what they're doing. And so a lot of um, new restaurants that are opening are uh, making a new the uh, elements of trattoria. So what you were saying about the fact that Nebbia is very modern, the style. So what they, they are going for a trattoria line in terms of uh, the food, but the decor is very unlike trattoria. Trattoria is normally you have the checkered... Uh, a little rustic. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Um, well, this is the new rustic. Maybe it's the new... I mean, it, there, there ha the nice thing is that there has to be an evolution. This idea that when you go to Italy that you eat at a tabletop that's covered in a checkered tablecloth, that, yeah. that's... A stereotype, and yeah. it ha and it has to change. I mean, it, they still exist, but yes. 
But it's nice to see that, you know, I, what but, I try to tell people is Italy is 21st century. Yes. One of the reasons why they still exist is the fact that they're popular with tourists. Exactly. So that, that's also a problem. It's that feeding into that little... Yes. The stereotype of Italy is still exists because people have come to expect it. So they're... Uh, that's what they want, that's what they choose. So maybe these uh, choices by tourists uh, end up in um, promoting restaurants that are not great. So sometimes I have uh, guests uh, or friends from uh, uh, other parts of the world that tell me, oh, yesterday they come to visit me in Milan and they're like, oh, yesterday night we have been to this restaurant and they name it. And I'm like, I don't, I don't, I've never heard this name before. Which is actually quite surprising because Milan is not. I'm not saying that I know every restaurant but you in do. the city, but Milan. You Milan do know is, every <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I don't. As this example shows, I don't. But the thing is, um, it's a fairly small city, so it's surprising that yeah. like I literally never heard the name, and uh, um, so I realized. That, and maybe I I asked where uh, where did, did they get their racks, and maybe it's the hotel concierge, which by the way is literally the worst way of yes. getting a recommendation there's normally an exchange of money involved so uh, so like it's my first tra piece of travel advice do not go where the <laughs> concierge is uh, recommending you to go and the other th the other possibility is that they found it on TripAdvisor which is even worse uh, most of the time so um, I, I think that there's, some of these restaurants just exist because people are, are expecting uh, a style of Italian restaurant that Italians uh, themselves are not, not very interested in anymore. And I think that's one of the things that um, I love about Milan. And I love, I mean, I love in general about Italy, but I love in particular about Milan because I think Milan is one of the few cities that doesn't necessarily, um, it doesn't, Milan doesn't have to rely on the tourism. And so it doesn't fully feed into a lot of the stereotypes, um, which makes it also a little bit hard for some tourists because they, they expect a different kind of Italy when they come to Milan. They don't realize that Milan has, like we've talked about this before, incredible architecture from the 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s. The 1930s, 40s, 50s, and 60s yeah. that, you know, is mind-blowing. You know, it's some art deco, some really cool modern stuff from the 60s. I mean, aside from the new stuff now. No. Um, but Milan, you know, and I think that's, that's why I think everybody's now looking towards Milan, looking to Milan for restaurants, what, what's going on in the restaurant world, because they're now setting the standard of what the new Italy is. Um, and I think that's pretty, I think it's pretty cool because I, I like to see these stereotypes of Italy just dismantled. Yeah. And I see that happening in Milan with these new restaurants that are not even just new restaurants, but with a lot of the restaurants that are out there that are saying, you know what, you know, yeah, we don't have Czech, you know, like Italy doesn't have to be this one yes. way. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's also important is for people to maybe start uh, traveling outside the classic uh, uh, routes uh, in, in Italy. Uh, last year for work, uh, I visited uh, in just space of a few weeks. Uh, I was in first in Venice and then I went to, uh, Naples and the especially the Amalfi Coast and then I spent some time in the parts of Tuscany where uh, a lot of tourists go and I and I kind of saw from the outside the the Italy that I've, I always see portrayed in, uh, in movies yeah, yeah. and it, I didn't recognize it at all 
I think that you're, if you're coming to Italy and these are the only places you visit, you're not going to have a, um, a, a very accurate idea of, uh, of the country really is. No, I, and I, this is a place I love. Like, they're obviously so beautiful. Venice, I try to visit every year, despite the fact that it's so crowded. And obviously, as uh, tourists, as travelers, uh, it's so important that we make also sustainable choices. It's one of, uh, I think that um, mass tourism is a form of pollution. We have come mm. to recognize that uh, too much light in a city is a form of pollution. And same way where it can be human pollution. And I'm saying it for myself first because I, I do travel extensively. And uh, and last year I was in Venice for Easter and I started thinking, yeah, I'm part of the problem here. There's that is crazy. There were just too many. Because Every, everybody is in Venice for Easter. It's a crazy yeah. time to visit. Yeah. Um, you know, you said something, you know, some, something really interesting when, you, when you're talking about seeing Italy not you know seeing all of Italy or not or when you, when you toe dip into Italy and you visit the Amalfi Coast and it's a beautiful experience you, yeah it is true it's it's a it's a sliver of what Italy is and one of the things about Milan that I particularly love and I know that you know I'm going to talk about this or ask you about this right. is part of the Milanese culture is something that now is part of the world's culture which is the aperitivo yes and I thought maybe we could talk a little bit about aperitivi because the last time we met up, you enlightened me on something that has now is now going to change my life, <laughs> which is that aperitivo is not just in the afternoon. Oh yes, that's an aperitivo before lunch, and uh, yeah, aperitivo just means a pre-meal drink. So any meal, people. Any yes, meal. <laughs> yes, but it's um, when people ask me, so is everyone doing an aperitivo, drinking something like an alcoholic beverage before lunch? I'm like. No, I can do it because I'm a freelance writer, so it's part <laughs> of the lifestyle. So I can drink before noon. That means I can do it too. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you can. But most of the people here lead very regular lives uh, with um, a nine to five. Well, it's more six in Italy, but nine to six job. So yeah, most most people are not drinking before um um, before uh, lunch, but uh, it's I think it's a very uh, civilized uh, tradition. Maybe on a Saturday to just go uh, meeting friends for lunch, and then before before that having a drink, which can be either a glass of wine, obviously, or um, or a cocktail if you that's your thing. And Milan is a huge tradition, a very big tradition for it for cocktails, especially. Milan is the city of uh, bitters. Most people uh, know, and a lot of people love, but not everyone loves Campari. Personally, Rosso. I love it. I do too. <laughs> yes. Uh, but uh, there's so many lesser known bitters that uh, have come. At some point, they were all on the same level. Like a lot, um, there was, um, uh, other than Campari, there's, I always like the story of uh, this uh, bitter, which is called Gin Rosa. It doesn't have anything to do with gin. It's, really? It's a bitter and it's pink. And there's there's still a bar with this name where they're serving gin rosa. Uh, but it was just like Campari, except that it did not become worldwide famous. But it's, <laughs> it's still, never become monstrous. Yes, yeah. <laughs> exactly. But um, and 
Around the same time, like the late uh, 19th century, a lot of uh, bitters started uh, being made. And originally, they were basically a medicinal recipe. I recently visited, uh, oh, this is an experience I recommend everyone to do. I recently visited the Fernet Branca um, offices in, uh, in Milan. All of the production of Fernet Branca is still, to this day, it's made in the heart of the city of Milan. Really? Yes. I, I, I would not have thought of that. Yes. Wow. Well, actually, they also have, uh, um, uh, they also produce Fernet Branca in Argentina, of all places. <laughs> Because the because there are Italians there, yes, they went, they, because they exactly. Moved there. They moved there and they were like, yeah, but we really miss Fernet Banca. So that's the, a very simplified version of the story. But I I've never been to Argentina, unfortunately. I would love to go, but uh, I am told that uh, the most popular um, drink in Argentina is to this day is, is something called Fernandito, which is Fernet Banca and Coke. Apparently, which is like a Cuba Libre for Argentina, and and most like Argentinians, an Cuba Libre. It's yeah, like an Italian, it's like an Italian Libre. Most uh, most Argentinians would not believe that Fernet Banca is actually from Milan and not they from. They think it's from, Argentinian. Yes, yes, apparently yes. And the museum, the Fernet Banca Museum, is beautiful because you have to think that uh, um, these uh, producers. And, and the same goes for Campari. Campari has a great museum uh, uh, in uh, outskirts of Milan. Oh, wow, okay. They had uh, uh, money to spend on uh, uh, and the possibility of uh, hiring uh, the best of the best in terms of artists uh, all over the 20th century. So they had uh, the best minds for uh, copywriting, for uh, uh, designing Those beautiful, beautiful ads. Yes. yes, exactly. And they were re- literally the, the, the best artists of the, the time. Because they had the they had the same way. I always like it to compare when people say that uh, the Playboy magazine had the best writers uh, of their time. Uh-huh. I'm like, yeah, of course, because they they could pay well because people were buying Playboy for other reasons, right? But the result was that they could pay uh, a nice um, and com- conversation to writers. And the same thing with Campari because everybody's yes. drinking. Yes, exactly. So. I know. I, I I vaguely know. I don't. I don't really. I know there's like a whole family tree of drinks that starts with Campari. <laughs> Can you tell me a little bit about this family tree? So, uh, the, it all starts from marriage. So since we're talking family tree, we're, uh, it's the marriage between a drink that's traditionally from Milan, which is Campari or a bitter in general, with vermouth that is uh, from Turin. Um, vermouth is um, wine, the base is wine, fortified wine with uh, herbs uh, and um, several other ingredients. And uh, when the two come together, so a vermouth and a bitter, it's what we call a Milano-Torino. So Milan and Turin. Which obviously. is what I call you and your boyfriend, because <laughs> exactly, he's from Exactly, because my boyfriend <laughs> is from Turin. And then uh, uh, once you add uh, soda water, what you get is what we call an Americano. Because then, uh, we, the cocktail culture in the U.S. Uh, it basically we imported our cocktail culture from the U.S. So uh, back then, every cocktail was called an Americano because it was an American style drink. Ah, okay, okay. So um, the Americano was uh, it's just uh, vermouth and bitter and soda water, and then uh, if uh, uh, rather than having a soda water, you add gin, 
then once you have is Negroni. Yes. <laughs> You're a good student. No, but, but you know me. I can't drink a Negroni because it's too strong. Yes. And so I choose to go with something slightly lighter, which, which is yeah. the Negroni Sbagliato. That's correct. And a Negroni Sbagliato is literally means Negroni done wrong. And it was invented in Milan. Negroni, the cocktail was invented in Florence, where... The Count Negroni would have his Americano, but he would substitute uh, um, gin for soda water because he wanted a stiffer drink. Right. And the other patrons of the bar eventually decided that they, they too liked the cocktail. And he was Negroni, right? Uh, that, that was a person, so it was the, the Count. Okay. But then people over time started saying, so I'd like my Americano the way the Count Negroni takes it. And eventually it just became the Negroni. Um, in, uh, in the 60s, in Milan, uh, the Barbasso, which is uh, still alive and kicking, and it's a great place that I recommend everyone to visit, uh, invented the Negroni Sbagliato, which means the Negroni done wrong. And it substitutes sparkling wine for uh, gin. So it's a lighter take on uh, the Negroni. And the, the origin of the drink is the fact that in the 60s, women were starting uh, to go to bars, which is not something that was common before then. Uh, men would go out and women would stay home. But in the 60s, women started going out too. And the Negroni was uh, too much for uh, most like of them. Like it is for me. Like it is for you. Um, and so the Barbasso figured that that would be a good alternative and it became incredibly popular and it's still one of the most popular cocktails in, in Milan and in Italy as well. So I remember like five or maybe even ten years ago, I went to Cova, which is another one of those historic bars in Milan on Via Monte Napoleone. And I sat down, you know, checking out the scene and these two women, retired age, sat down, super fabulously dressed and they ordered two drinks and then, then the waiter came to me and I said, I'm going to have what they're having. Because uh, they just looked fabulous. The drinks looked fabulous. Like, I just wanted to be them. And <laughs> it turned out that was my first time with the Negroni Spagliato. And then I was convinced after that, that is my drink. Yes. And, and also, that, in that instance, you also made acquaintance with the peculiar style of... Um, the fabulously dressed uh, elderly Milanese lady, which is what we call in Milanese dialect Ashura. A word that does not exist in Italian? <laughs> no, it's not an Italian word. It just means a lady in Milanese dialect. But um, I was saying earlier about uh, Prada. Prada is uh, um, ex ex exactly this specific kind of elegance. So being incredibly elegant, but at the same time there's uh, something like quirk to it. And so you might be um, like the colors might be a lot or, or some accessories are uh, just uh, not what you would expect on a regular elderly lady. And so that, that's, we have a word for it in Milanese. And that's sure. And that's why, that's why, the, that's the, the, that also describes the Negroni Spagliato because yeah. it's not, it's not the Negroni that you would expect. So if that's my go-to drink, what's your go-to drink? Uh, just the regular Negroni. It's my, <laughs> it's right. my favorite. 
You are you are pretty tough, I will say. <laughs> yes, I have to say that um, after my pregnancy, it's um, well, obviously I did not drink during my pregnancy, and uh, it's been quite hard to <laughs> develop again some sort of resistance. But I am uh, absolutely like I want to go back to my previous level. So, so you know what? Next time, next time I'm in Milan with Darius because his favorite drink is the Negroni. We'll be negroning it. I'll, I'll spagliato, and, and you guys can do it correctly. <laughs> okay. So that leads me to my last question, and um, I would love to know where... I, I know you know some great places, but where where are the quintessential places in Milan to have an aperitivo? Ooh, uh, aperitivo, there's... Um, it depends if you're a regular in Milan or if it's your first time. For a first-timer, I would really recommend an aperitivo overlooking the Piazza del Duomo mm-hmm. because it's just... Um, Piazza del Duomo is obviously where the a big gothic cathedral uh, spectacular that's a, yeah, the landmark of Milan is um, um, the, the, the Duomo is all made in marble and the color varies a little bit uh, every with the different light at any time of the day so it's great before lunch and it's also beautiful at uh, sunset become it's all these pink hues that are really beautiful so I'm, I will never get tired of having a drink at maybe Camparino oh the one the little yeah. Campari bar yes mm-hmm. inside the Galleria so That's just overlooking the Duomo just uh, I recommend if you're going to stay at the counter and have a drink at the counter because it's a more authentic experience rather than sitting down which is more a touristy thing to do and another possibility uh, still in the Piazza del Duomo is to go to Giacomo. Uh, Giacomo is a very uh, popular restaurant in Milan and they've uh, recently opened a location overlooking the Piazza del Duomo inside the, the Arengario building, which is where the stunning Museo del Novecento, the 20th century art museum is which located. Is my, one of my, my favorite painting in the world is in that museum. Oh, the, the what Quarto is it? The Stato? Yeah. Oh my God, it's my favorite. Oh. <laughs> yes. I, I go every time. Oh my God, it's beautiful. So amazing. Yeah, but um, if you don't, after you've uh, thought about the plight of uh, the workers, uh, <laughs> then you go and get a drink. <laughs> yeah, then you go and get, and get a very fancy drink yeah. on the, yeah, I don't uh, in, uh, in the terrace, in a terrace overlooking Duomo and Giacomo. It's Which really is spectacular beautiful. because you have the, because that's a great perspective because you, aside from the Duomo, you also have the Galleria. Yep. Which is, I, I don't know, I think it was built at the beginning of the 20th century or the end of the, ni- the yep. 19th. At the end of the 19th That's century, like, yep. again, emblematic of Milan. Yeah, and the, all the changes that were going on in Milan uh, back then. Uh, Milan getting modernized. So those, uh, quite those, radically. those are the historic, like, it's, those are the establishments. Yes. And what are the, and I know, I think you, you and I have talked about a whole bunch of other places. I know you like Magbar, I believe. Oh, yes. On the Navigli, so the canals area of, of Milan, you, um, there's several options of places that I like, uh, almost at the same level. There's Mag, uh, there's Rita, which is, uh, again, great. There's Taglio, which oh. is a lot of fun. Uh, but probably my other favorite place, not for cocktails, but just for wine, is uh, in the Chinatown area of Milan. And it's called Cantina Isola. It's a great wine bar which, with an amazing selection and a super fl- friendly atmosphere. I used to live in Chinatown 
before I was priced out of Chinatown as well, <laughs> because it's become really, um, really fancy as well. So you have but to keep moving out. Yes. Further, further yes, out of the ring, yes. right? I'm waiting for my car and neighborhood to... To price you out? Yes. <laughs> no, to be gentrified as well, at least for a few nice uh, places, ah. to, a few watering holes to open in my neighborhood, because we don't have that. But I'm a mom now, so that should not be my priority. No, no, no. But it, no, it, it but it be. is. <laughs> I, I, I am the cocktail mom. Okay. And and the famous thing is that my, I remember Xanthe's famous line when she was four years old was, Dar Darius was out of town, and she said, oh, "Just call Arlene e prendiamo qualcosa da bere." And I was like, "What?" And she's like, "Let's go to the bar." And I was like, "You're my child." <laughs> yes. But also this this I love because I mean maybe I'm I'm the one seeing it but. To me, that sounds also very Italian, because um, uh, sometimes uh, uh, my uh, American guests are very surprised that you can get alcohol in any bar in Italy. There's no thing as uh, having um, a license for um, hard liquor. <laughs> and uh, bars are a place where everyone can go. That's From like, all ages. Yes, but it's also, um, and I'm not saying that... It, Obviously, that doesn't mean that people of all ages should drink. It's just exactly the opposite. Is the fact that um, we gather in bars and it's a very friendly, welcoming place. And you can have, like, you can meet your friends that don't drink and they're going to get a coffee and you can drink something. That's... And it's just very welcoming. It's not just a place where you go and drink and... I think that's I think that's the overall Italian spirit because you can a lot of people say to me oh you know do they have kids menus or can I bring my child no. and exactly I make the same face you're making yeah, right now confused I'm like kids kids menu no like our children yeah, and they they get a pasta they, get a pasta they'll it's always pasta bianco you know yeah. or we'll go to the bar and you know they'll they'll if they don't have they no they always have something for children or they'll they'll make something for children and it's but again like you know you're pregnant you don't want to drink. And they totally love that. And you'll be out late at night pregnant with your <laughs> yes. friends that are drinking. Um, yeah. And everyone likes you because you're uh, automatically the designated diver when you're pregnant. That is very so true. So like, hang out with us. They're like, let's take her out. <laughs> well, so next time I come to Milan, I'm going to go to Barbasso with you. Yes, let's do it. And we're going to get you a Negroni. Because yes. The, and I'm going to have the Negroni Spagliato there. So that, that's the next trip to Milan. Yeah. So I thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Erica. It's Valentine's Day, and Sara and I are about to enjoy Valentine's at the St. Regis in Rome. Um, and I don't know what we're going to drink. What are you going to have tonight? Uh, I think cocktails, probably. Yeah, I think... I, like, I feel like the Negroni... I don't know. I, I think I'm going to get bubbles tonight. I, I'll go back with some more Franciacorta. Yeah. So thank you Thanks. so much. And, thank you again. And I can't wait to see you back in your home turf. Yeah. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Ciao Bella. You can find all my episodes on iTunes, and if you have time, subscribe, rate, and let me know your thoughts on the podcast. You can also be part of the podcast by donating. Find Ciao Bella on Patreon.com, where with as little as $1, you get behind-the-scenes photos and videos as I travel all throughout Italy. To learn more about me and my work, go to my website, ericafirpo.com, and follow my Italy adventures on Instagram at ericafirpo. Ciao Bella! 
send a very big thank you and hug to Massimiliano Yonta and Dis to Dis Studios, the producers of Ciao Bella who continue to make me sound and feel great.